Welcome to the podcast, Three Things That Matter. My name is Anne Blake, and in each episode, I interview a different guest. They are asked to bring three things that matter to them. These might vary from books and plants to places and occasions. These three things provide the jumping off point for discussion of the extraordinary in the everyday. Three Things That Matter is a Limerick Post podcast and is released every second Wednesday. In episode six of the second series, I speak to Niall Quinn. Niall is a drummer with iconic Limerick band The Hitchers. The Hitchers released two LPs in the UK and Ireland. It's all fun and games till someone loses an eye in 1997 and for the want of some better TV in 1999. In 2021, the band announced a crowdfunder initiative for a 25th anniversary vinyl re-release of It's All Fun and Games Till Someone Loses an Eye. The funded campaign comfortably surpassed its target and the album is due for vinyl release in March 2022. Niall, welcome along. Thanks for having me, Anne. It's, it's, it's delightful to have you and it's delightful to see you. <laughs> and you... And looking healthy, I may add. <laughs> Thank you. you. You said you're a little, you're a little bit under the weather yourself. Just a little bit of a dose. So hopefully, it's just a uh, throat infection or something like that. It, it doesn't appear to be the big bad COVID anyway. It, these conversations we're having, isn't it, guys? Like, it's hopefully just a throat infection. It's not something you'd yeah, ever yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Well, speaking, getting away from the bad things, uh, you've 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 come along with three things, and uh, I was just going to ask you what your first thing was. Um, assuming you want them in no particular order, I'm going to start with my top trumps. Okay. Any idea what top trumps are? No, no, no idea. Top trumps, which I recently found in in Duns in their sort of a uh, last minute Christmas section or Christmas gift section, are back. Were a card game. Uh, okay. popular with kids in the 1970s and into the 80s, although these ones are actually post-1990 World Cup top trumps. And how it works is you've the, you the deck of cards and as many people as you like can play the game provided they can all get the same number of cards to start. So you need a minimum of two, but after that, as many people as there are cards. And how it works is, of course I forgot my glasses, but there's the, there's... <clears throat> You've each country, so I have in front of me Brazil. And on this particular deck, if you've Brazil, you're pretty much going to win whatever the call is because it's got World Cup wins, three, as Brazil had back then. I don't think anybody else had World Cup three World Cup wins at that point. Right. So you present your card and everybody, and you call your category, which is, there's just to give a sample, there's World Cup wins, semi-finalists, final games won, um, goals conceded, goals for etc. And whoever has the the better value wins the card off their opponent. So okay. ultimately, it's whoever ends up with the most cards or all the cards uh, wins the game. And however many people you had starting, when you're out of cards, you're out of the game. So okay, so th- this particular deck is just for World Cup football. And it was published, I think, in 1991 or 92. So it went up as far as the 1990 World Cup. But when I was a kid, you could get top drums for anything. There was top drums for submarines, top drums for medieval knights, top drums for uh, my my favourite when I was a kid. And uh, I'll lead into this on my second item um, was uh, top drums for fighter planes of the Second World War. Um, Pretty much you if you could imagine it, there was a top drums for it. Um, right. Uh, I imagine there was top drums for boy bands at some stage. Uh, I I know I was at a half and half biscuit gig in in England a couple of years back, and Nigel Blackwell alluded to the existence of new wave of British heavy metal top drums. There, by absolute nirvana, to find <laughs> a, a set of Noabim top drums, where I'll see your Def Leppard and raise you a journey. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and is it and, and the categories on it? Um, so the ones you have are World Cup football. Yeah. So is is it 
yeah, you're saying like it's how many World Cups are won and then it goes, is it specific to that or? Yeah, how many goals you scored at the World Cup finals. Okay. Like Ireland are in here somewhere, but they'd only qualified for one World Cup at this point. So I think our number of goals conceded were probably, how many goals did we concede at that World Cup? Three. Three. And our number of goals scored was two, so that was two. a pretty miserable criteria. Um, number <laughs> it was of games. Pretty, it was it was pretty glorious at the time. It though. was, yeah. Number of games won was zero, because despite the fact uh, we've progressed in the quarterfinals against Romania, that was actually logged as a scoreless draw, <sighs> and the penalty shootout was only for the purposes of separating us. Uh, I've just found CIS, which existed for exactly two tournaments. Um, that's the the former breakup of the Soviet Union sort of team, Commonwealth of Independent States, CIS stands oh, for. I think they God. just played at um, Euro 92, and that's pretty much it. I think they, they, were, they, they might have tried to qualify for, was it 1990? I don't think Russia were at, because USSR were at Euro 88, but it's, we're into CIS by the time... This comes. There's Northern Art. Yeah. No. Sorry. Yeah. And what did they become after CIS? What, what? Um, they, they it fully broke up into um, Russia, standalone, and Belarus, Ukraine, um, and that was a that was a messy enough situation where former USSR players could decide what country they wanted to play for. Thereafter. Oh, I, I see. I, and at time of recording, unfortunately, that place is in a a bit of disarray. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. So there was these these two tournaments, or one tournament where this this team CIS. Yeah. Uh, There's the lead card from the d- deck, by the way. Top trumps. I uh, love it. I'm trying to get it up as close to the camera as possible. So. Oh, Waddington's uh, made it. That's it. Did did yeah. did they make all of them? The, yeah, yeah. They, okay. Waddington. Top trumps. World Cup football. <laughs> top trumps. So wow. There's hours because it's so it's such a simple game to play. In fairness, um, so like you, you can you can play it forever. The only difficulty with this particular deck is, mm. like I said, whoever has Brazil pretty much wins. Unless I think there's. They've won Achilles' heel if you happen to have Italy. Italy conceded fewer goals than them at the World Cup finals. Ah, okay, okay. And I've just found Republic of Ireland, and I'm going to have to use a lamp here to try and read it and put it far away from my face. (laughs) World Cup wins, zero. Semi-finalists, zero. Final series games, five. Games won, one. Oh, it actually does credit Romania as a game one. Oh, good. Uh, Games drawn, three. Games lost, one. Goals for two. Goals against three. And it's, it's a very nice picture of all the team jumping all over Packy and yeah, Packy oh. and uh, uh, my, 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 Dave O'Leary. Dave O'Leary after I can see John Byrne in there and <laughs> Kevin Sheedy in the number four jersey there. I think that's McGrand, the seven. And of course, uh, Mick Walsh, the physio, I think there as well with the grey hair. Yeah. Nice photo. Steve- <laughs> Steve, Steve Staunton looks like he's floating up there as well. He could be, well be. Yeah, I was wondering was that him or John Byrne? Um, oh, you're right. The 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 blonde mullet is confusing. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's John Byrne. <laughs> it is John Byrne. <laughs> um, that yeah. Well, it's funny because um, those those kind of games. Uh, yeah, it's so as you said, it's really transferable. And I, I mean, what are cards? What are any deck of cards? Only valued cards. Yes. Of, you know. But uh, there's something very delightfully nerdy and enjoyable about oh, something yeah. like that. <laughs> and you don't even have to know anything about the the particular subject. In fact, yeah. it can be quite educational. You can, <laughs> <laughs> you can find out on tanks, you can find out exactly, you know, you hear at rugby matches, things about Italian tanks having 13 reverse gears and stuff like that. You know, most tanks have about 13 reverse gears, but whatever country makes them, you know, <laughs> so they're quite educational too. Yeah, I, I suppose that that is a way to kind of, if you want to get an expert in a random subject, it would be a handy way to do that. Mm. Get obsessive about the amount of reverse gears yeah, yeah. different types of tanks have. <laughs> but I suppose as well with it, like with kids and stuff like that, you know, it's a way to, to get them, give them a ton of information about something without uh, actually having to explain it to them. It's just like, just know True. Brazil 
is the best card. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which, in fairness, most of us would know anyway. I mean, I just think most people, when they think soccer, they think Brazil. Yeah, um, yeah. They fall the definitive. But um, yeah, I've never. It's so funny because obviously I have brothers who are a bit older than me, and you know I would have grown up in the um, in the eighties, nineties. But I have never ever heard of that. That's top drums phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think you know we probably came across them first on summer holidays in Kilkee or something because we. I think people tend to remember their summer holidays in places like Kilkee as they remember the sunny days and the days they spent at the beach. They don't remember the other 13 days in their fortnight down there where it flogged constantly. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and at some point, Dad ran down to Hawks news agents or whatever. They're all Hawks or Ryans down there and um, bought, a pair of, uh, bought a set of top drums so that the kids would at least have something to do while it's puddling <laughs> down outside. So I think I think that's where the the grow for them in this country came from. And I mean, can you find them online? Like, can you find your heavy? Oh, metal? sure, you can. I I've never been able to find the the Nwabim top top Nwabim top drums, but um, uh, yeah, oh, you can find other ones out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, but they they don't do they still make them at all? Nazi war any? criminals. Oh, oh yeah, I found them in um I found them in Dunn's just uh oh, yeah. just Christmas week. That was this Christmas. This that was Christmas, Christmas gone. just gone. Yeah. Oh my do you, god. Do you know the way they have this little area where they've all these like ten euro gifts for last minute stocking fillers, um, mm. where you can just get a Rubik cube and whatever other crap that will just hold somebody's attention for thirty seconds. In there amongst yeah. them were the top trumps. I think there was some of them were Lord of the Rings, and there might have been. It might have been Star Wars or something. Top Trumps as well that was there. So yeah, but yeah. you can you can have Top Trumps on pretty much any subject you like. And those ones you have, those ones that you were just showing me there, the 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 World Cup ones. How long have you had them? Oh, I've had them since at least nineteen ninety two. I'd say. I think I got them when I was in college down in Cork, and again, it, it was probably away to while away. Um, uh, quiet, cold evenings in a student flat in Cork when the Verviers budget was gone. <laughs> There's something about student flat days that I don't know. I feel like all you remember are the rainy days. Do you know, like yeah, yeah. the way the way your sunshine, your your Kilkee holidays, or wherever seaside holiday you have. If you think back to student days, somehow it was always raining. Mm. Yeah, um, I had a lovely time in Cork, but. Certainly, um, at times the weather and that that could be grim, you know. Like, um, and I lived down by the lock when I was down there, which was lovely. I could go jogging around it and destroy my knees. But um, uh, yeah, Cork is easily as rainy as Limerick, easily, probably more so. Yeah. Now, well, I are maybe maybe I'm wrong that student houses are all about rain or that. It's more that you want to be in them. You know, yeah, because yeah. That's that's where the crack is. Indeed. it's all like if someone has an apartment or a, or a house or whatever it was like well let's just go there even oh if yeah yeah like, even uh, if it's sunny um, I, I couldn't believe my luck when I was in Cork after the first my, I spent most of the first semester in a house sorry in a bathroom on Western Road um, it was all the lady had left was a, a converted lending bathroom that had a, I, I could see where a toilet had been taken out and all um uh, it was a it was a bathroom. It had been a bathroom. Room. Yeah, they'd taken out a toilet bowl and a bath <laughs> and there was now a camp bed where the bath used to be. And oh there was God. a camping cooker on a timber device where close to where the toilet bowl had been, which is very oh enticing. God. No fridge, um two sockets, and uh in fairness, like she, she charged me beans for it because I, I kind of I got cork on it second or third round offer or something so th- there was nothing left by the time I got down there and uh, so I was there for most of the first semester and um, but for, but from then I was living in in a place across the road from Murphy's Brewery out near okay. Shandon yeah. and you know people that was actually a good sized house and like other students used to come around and <laughs> frankly they'd be asking 
how do you live with the smell from the brewer? And I was honestly saying to them, and I wasn't a Murphy's drinker, I was actually a Beamish drinker. And I was this, he said, I don't know how I'm ever going to live without it when I move out here. <laughs> it really does. It's like you wake up in the morning and it's like the porridge is on. It's fabulous. Um, yeah. But it probably seeped out of every pore in you, like and every item of clothing you had. And so, but eventually I ended up living in a house, the one I'm talking about up near the lock. And um, again, I was paying beans for it. Had my own room. Uh, the house was, yeah, it was kind of old and a bit, shabby and probably damp or whatever but it was great like relative to what students were living in in those days it was a freaking palace and um you know our landlord was a reasonable enough man we had to tell him we'd mice at one stage and um uh he, he actually greeted it as good news um that that the house had mice so oh that's a good sign it means you don't have the big dirty fellas um <laughs> I, I I feared for a moment he was actually about to raise the rent over it, like you know. Um. <laughs> Charge you extra for the mice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, but you realise. I mean, I don't think there's ever a time when accommodation is not in some form of like. The, I think the big, the horrible issue at the moment is there, there's just nowhere, there's yeah, nowhere yeah. for for people. But I mean, uh, there is a certain standard of hygiene that as a younger person you're just willing to put up with yeah a lack of a standard a lack of a standard yeah and it might be a case that it i don't know toughens you up for the real world a little bit i I know that there's people out there i don't agree with them but there's people out there who will tell you that getting rid of the type of accommodation i described for my first semester in college there with the converted toilet frankly um that get that wouldn't be allowed nowadays, theoretically. But mm-hmm. I've heard people argue that in getting rid of that, petrol was thrown on the, the on the cost of rental, basically, because it lessened the amount of property that could go to the market at any one time. So that market forces basically kicked in and drove rents up. Um, mm-hmm. But we have to be able to do it better than that. If the Japanese can manage it on a string of tiny islands, um, with 120 million people, um, we just have to do better, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And there's people still charging shocking rents on places that are... Yeah. Just knowing knowing people who work with students and students trying to get get accommodation, it's yeah. uh, it's still pretty grim. Yeah. Um, and if it's not that the location is grim, it's that the price is unbe- unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, but... Not not taking away from that point, but staying with uh, <laughs> maybe more the things uh, that matter. Uh, have you a second thing? I do. Excuse me, I'm just adjusting a pillow behind my head because I'm relaxing a bit here, trying to shake my Lovely. cold. Sorry if I'm creating noise. That's um, okay. This little guy is... Um, he's one of my model airplanes. I got into model airplanes when I was about eight or nine and they quickly became a sort of fixed staple in my life this little guy is called a Bolton Paul Defiant the company that built it were Bolton Paul this model was called the Defiant and this is the actual plane I don't know if you've ever I'm sure um, BPLO did a cover version of The Hitchers Killed It With My Bare Hands yes we did this is the little plane from the video (laughs) uh, amazing it still exists and you know what i've had it at least 25 years at this stage i think i might be done with it so one of the things we were thinking of doing when we do this whatever some of the things we're doing for the album launch we were thinking of having a sort of little exhibition with a what's the posh term they use for it a symposium if you like where we'll have a bit of a listening party and show off some stuff from back in the day and it was suggested to us that we might you know we could do this as uh, almost an advert for a proper gig later in the year uh, and in the process we might be able to raise a few bucks for something worthy and so I was thinking I might auction this at it or you know just sell it to, to just people out there who buy all manner of crap somebody might buy this some lunatic paid I'm not going to say what they paid but they paid a considerable amount of money for you know we did our fundraiser our funded thing for to bring back fun and games and somebody mm-hmm. somebody actually bought the three by five photograph um, of the 
of the um, abandoned car on the cover. Um, and I like they they suggested when we were setting up to fund it, chuck in some novelty items. You know, the, people people like to people like merch, people like memorabilia. So we mm. just chucked in the photograph that was actually used. Now it 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 actually even doesn't look massively like the album cover because when we got the fun and get, when we got the photograph, we scanned it in. None of us had a clue how to use um, scanners or anything like that. Um, mm. Pearson Murgatroyd kind of he shopped around for people to design an album cover and came to the conclusion it would be cheaper to just buy one of these newfangled PC things and um, uh, buy something called Photoshop and Coral Draw and do it between the lot of us. So Eric had some graphics experience. I'd just come out of art college. Pierce went to art college. So we all just sat there and tried to work it out. And of course, nobody had a scanner. So um, uh, uh, the late and very lovely Tom Cronin um, up in the Tate Centre scanned all the pictures in for us. And then we just played around with them in this newfangled Photoshop thing. And so the, that, the photograph of the car, I think I have it here in a bedside locker next to me. I'll read it out in a minute. Um, <laughs> uh, that got scanned in and we started messing with it in Photoshop. So it got twisted around and eventually you got that, that image that's on the cover of the album, mm. uh, which doesn't really look much like the photograph, I have to say. So I'm actually, descri- I, when I'm giving this photograph to the, the people who bought it, I'm as a sort of a demonstration that it is the actual real thing and as an assurance I'm going to teach them how to do the same thing I did to the photograph so they can assure themselves I'm not selling them any old crap. This is the actual image used on the cover of the album. And luckily, I was so lazy back in the day that I went to... What did I do? I squared it first. I changed it from a rectangle to a square. Then I went to effects, twirl, 100%. No other number, 100%. And that's it. It's done. And we actually had to try and recreate this as well because um, uh, once we realised it was the album was going to happen, um, we said, "Okay, could we get our hands on the original artwork?" Um, which I doubt it exists anyway, but if it does, it's on a bunch of floppy disks, and <laughs> those pictures will have been scanned in at about seventy-two DPI. Industry standard now is I thought it was three hundred. Apparently, it's up to at least six hundred DPI. Um, wow. and can go to 12 or whatever if they can do it so we we had to build the whole thing from the ground up again so that meant going finding the original photographs scanning them again at a much higher resolution future proofing them because in a few weeks time I'm no longer going to have the original uh, photograph future proofing yeah. those scans and uh, yeah fair play, fair play to Eric Fitz particularly he did a f- fantastic job putting it all back together Um but uh, th- that's taken me a little bit away from my little Bolton Paul Defiant now because I, I was saying that was the star of the Killed It With My Bare Hands video. So we'll yeah. we, we bring that to the we'll bring that to our little symposium event type thing and we'll see if anyone wants to give a few bob to charity for it. Um, it's fab and, and just for the visual, um, it is a little model airplane and what says, does it say on the... On the top wings, the, you say this across the front of the Hitcher's drum kit. Uh, it says, nobody likes us and we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and the roundels on the on the side of it there where normally you'd have royal air force or whatever that just you say the hitchers it's actually faded away that was done on the inkjet inkjet printer that pierce also bought so that we could do proofs so right and yeah. so and how how old is that plane now then it was built in 1996 um this this little model was the, mm-hmm. the actual plane itself there's a phenomenal story behind the actual plane itself Bolton Paul defiant. Bolton mm-hmm. Paul Bolton Paul didn't build aeroplanes at all. What they actually built was see this little bit of it back here? I'm putting it, the turret. I don't know if you can see there's a couple of machine guns sticking out of that. It's, it's kind of behind behind the cockpit. Behind the pilot. You've got the pilot yeah, faces yeah. forward and there's another bloke behind him facing backwards. And he's sitting oh, yeah. in a turret. And that's what Bolton yeah. Paul built was electric turrets. Okay. Um uh, so that thing goes, you, you kind of move it left and right with your feet. You've got like pedals and you go, and that's pretty much all it does. Um, and they were trying to get, in the in the years running up to the start of the Second World War, they were trying to get um, the, the Air Ministry of the Royal Air Force to 
basically commissioned them um, to build turrets, which is what they did. But they they were also competing with the likes of Supermarine, who built the Spitfire, and Hawker, who built the Hurricane, uh, which were the main fighters of the Royal Air Force. And uh, neither of them wanted to install a turret in their in their plane for them. So Bolton Paul did something mad for a company that made turrets. They went away and built their own freaking airplane. <laughs> the Defiant. And this this mad little plane, it turned out, was at least as good as a hurricane. If they just left the turret off it and left it a single seat fighter like a hurricane was, it would have been at least as faster than a hurricane, definitely. Uh, probably as good as a Spitfire and certainly a whole lot safer to land because... Um, Basically, if you made a mistake landing a hurricane, a carpenter could probably fix it and you'd be back flying it the following day. If you made a mistake landing a Spitfire, um, you probably died. Um, wow. And the plane, well, the plane would be scrapped anyway. Like, I think there was something like 12 maintenance hours required for a Spitfire for every one required by a hurricane. Uh, yeah. So if you could be, come up with another plane as good as a Spitfire that didn't record all, or didn't require all that messing, that would be fantastic. And Bolton Paul went and built one, but then they went and stuck a half-ton turret behind a pilot, um, <laughs> <laughs> which turned it into. It actually got a nickname, the Flying Coffin. Um, oh wow! Because it it had one good sortie, uh, one good combat engagement against the Germans, um, because it actually looks kind of like a hurricane. Uh, the single seat fo- from a distance, the profile is similar. So some German fighters dived at them from behind, thinking they were hurricanes, and mm. got a nasty sting when they realised that these things have turrets facing backwards, that uh, with four Brownings in each. So several German planes were shot down, but the right. Germans quickly for- uh, worked out that because it had a half-ton turret, they weren't able to stick guns in the wings firing forward. So all you had to do was attack it head on, and it couldn't defend itself. <laughs> um, so they were shot down in droves <gasps> and eventually, and I mean, by eventually, I mean weeks, if not days later, they just had to be pulled from service. Um, you couldn't just keep chucking pilots out the window of existence like that. So, um, yeah, they ended up tugging gliders and target practice and stuff like that. But uh, I just thought it was a, a phenomenal story of misplaced effort and errant premise and whatever else. <laughs> I just love that idea. Hang on there. Go behind me. Don't come at me. No, go behind me and give me a fair go. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just turning around. No, no, don't. No, no, no. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like really bad. That's all, yeah. it, all it had was that range. There it is from behind you. Uh, about 180 to 200 degrees. And of course, it, right. it, you probably had to be careful firing straight back as well. They had little locks and things like that that would stop bullets hitting its own tail fin or whatever. Um, yeah. So it had a very limited firing capacity. Um, it, it, Isn't like, that a moment in um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? They're in one of these planes and, and Sean Connery is the dad and he's in the back on the gun, on the turret. Yes. And he, and he shoots the tail fin. And he's all like, oh, God. And, you know, Harrison Ford goes, what's going on? He goes, I'm sorry, son. They got us. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see that, no. (laughs) Very good. So, yeah, obviously, occupational hazard of having a gun facing backwards that you might shoot yourself. Might do something stupid with it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> or have no gun facing forward oh yeah but uh, <laughs> but, there, but there's there's good. many many wonderful stories like the, I picked up a magazine going through an airport there a while back and I was reading about it um, one of the guys who used to shoot these down a, a, a Luftwaffe pilot who um, <clears throat> he uh, he arrived over England whatever their mission was he was with a couple of other fighters they were bounced as you say some Royal Air Force fighters dived on them from behind so they had to split up and scatter and try to reform and he went into a cloud and out of a cloud and found he was completely lost uh, and he's kind of great now I haven't a clue where I'm going scanning around the sky to see if the British planes were gone and next thing pure luck there's three German bombers just in front of him um, and above him so he said look while well, I'm here I'll just escort these guys home um, 
so I'll just follow them. So he tagged along underneath them, probably observing radio silence so that he didn't get any of them caught. And as he explains it, his next memory is waking up in Maidstone General Hospital, handcuffed to uh, debate, now a prisoner of war. Um, what he didn't snag was they weren't quite on their way home yet. They were on their bomb run and he had parked himself right underneath them. Oh, God. <laughs> at about at about 14 or 15,000 feet up in the sky. So some incendiary bombs came flying down out of a Dornier or Heinkel or whatever it was, blew him to pieces. It's incredible that he survived this at all um, because they'd have detonated when they hit the wings or whatever of his plane. He was yeah. thrown free. Somehow his parachute came out. And uh, he at least survives to be laughed at um, wow. for being an absolute dozy twit. Jesus. <laughs> There's rakes of those. There's rakes of those stories of gross incompetence, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> seems to be seems to be a thing yeah. of, of this. <laughs> seems to be a theme. <laughs> um, f- lovely. Well, I wondered if you'd want to move on to your third thing. Yeah, sure. We, le- we leave airplanes behind. I could talk all night about airplanes. Well, I mean, like if, if you've more to say in them, we can no, always no, come no, back no, to no, them no, at some they, point. I think we've done loads on airplanes now. I, I, <laughs> I will just say I make glass sculptures as well out of airplanes. So, oh, really? Glass sculptures as well out of airplanes. I make airplane sculptures out of glass, more to point. Um, okay. Uh, or Pretty much every, all sculpture I do going back to our college is somehow related to airplanes. It, it just always was. And um, so in recent years, when I've gotten to work uh, on sculpture bits at all, it's tended to be in glass. I just like using old bottles and things like that and chopping them up and um, melting them down. Uh, it's a little bit more awkward now because uh, in my work, I, I do have access to two kilns, but they went and installed heat sensors. Who installs a heat sensor in a kiln room? Um <laughs> Uh, like you know if you're if you're firing um earthenware pottery you need to go up to about 1250 degrees anyway a heat sensor will detect that uh yeah. and for glass stuff there's actually processes whereby you you actually need to open the kiln while it's still quite hot right so there's there's a thing called an annealing range where you've got to get it down from about 750 to 550 degrees as quickly as possible or your gra- your glass will turn cloudy Basically, oh, I get you. Okay. There's a risk okay. your glass will turn. It's a it's a chemical scum that forms on the surface of it, and if you can do that, the crash cooling you minimize the risk of of this um and of this chemical scum forming, Cl- mm. the, the cloudiness. But I can't do that now. If I if I open the kiln and uh, and for even ten seconds, you'll have <laughs> the whole place is just evacuated. So um, it tends to limit the the kind of glass activities I can do. Okay. But, uh, but there you go. Yeah, it was funny. Just a couple of Facebook memories came up in the last couple of days that I'd had stuff in an exhibition down in the art college. And um, what was the name? I actually had a couple in the art college. There was the plane invasion a few years back. And then there was the, the what you call it, spring, I think was the most recent one. But geez, the years get away from you. They really do. Um, mm. uh, the, the most recent one was four years ago. And I was going, wow, that, that far back since I exhibited anything. But sure, anyway, there you go. So yeah, that's airplanes and glass done with. Well, okay, and just to give you the out, like literally two of those years don't count. Right. It might be four In years fairness, to exhibit, yeah, yeah, yeah. but two of them but don't the count. the world was parked, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so how about your third thing? Here's my third thing. Also about 30 years old and probably older than that as well. Um, this is a symbol I bought in, I'd say 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, you may or may not be able to see there it says crash it's a Peisty mm-hmm. all my symbols are Peisty um, I used to actually have a, a deal with Peisty um, they, just give me, they didn't give me free symbols but they gave me very cheap symbols um, okay. um, which was huge at the time like um, because it, my symbols were kind of crap frankly including this one yeah. yes this used to be an 18 inch crash I don't know if you can the 18 down there as well yeah uh, yeah. I had it for I would say less than a year when I broke it okay um, uh, so I took it to when I went to college in Cork I, oh I just made a very loud pop <laughs> there it does that that's one of its surprises I took it to Cork with me 
And okay. I chopped it down. So now it's about a 13 inch symbol. It's smaller than a hi-hat. And, um, oh, wow. So you, oh, you chopped it down, right? Yeah. Wow. And you can see there wow. the way it's popped out into a slightly different shape. Yeah. So, uh, it's a bit like a sombrero there. Yeah. Yeah. And I took it back home, having chopped it down to a, a 13 inch disc, and it sounded horrific. So I said, okay, I'll just cast that aside, which I did. And it found itself behind freaking wardrobes and whatever in the rehearsal room and forgotten about while I moved on and got better cymbals. And, uh, and cymbals can be very, very expensive. If you're like, if you're buying them at retail prices, as I have been for some years, they're ridiculously expensive, like, you know. So, yeah. um, years move on. Uh, I have it back home. I, I, I never used it with the hitchers after it got chopped down to a 13. But um, it ended up a toy for newborn Baba in the house, basically. Oh. So he had it in a sort of bang crash collection of other bits and bobs down there, like rattles and whatever else. And I think there's still some crayon on it. Yeah, I found some green crayon here. He used to draw all over it and that until I was eventually asked to take it off him because some of the edges are a little bit sharp and you probably could do an injury to yourself on them. Um, That's some of my... Uh, shoddy metal workmanship but uh, so I said I'll take it to work and kind of like I ended up doing with the glass I'll melt it down I'll make something new out of it which I'd actually done when I was in college years before I was in I was I was working in Holland in 92 and 93 and had made friends with um, the guys uh, in the Dutch punk band Cooper who they've been over here a few times and played with the Hitchers and that and uh, I was telling Rene while I was staying with him that um, sometime before I'd gone over, my my gear had been robbed, basically. Um, okay. all, all my symbols had been taken from Zarek. Um, and uh, I had very little, like this, pretty much. Um, and uh, that was it. And Rene, who, he's a guitarist, but he was tapping away in an old drum kit as well. He gave me his hi-hats. Now, they weren't in great shape. But there were a set of hi hats more than I had, mm. and um, I thought it was very, very decent of him. So I used those hi hats for a couple of years till I could afford to get new hi hats, basically. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was really, really decent of him. So when I was in college and making all these aeroplanes, one of mm-hmm. the things I did was I took Renee's hi hats down, chopped them up into pieces because uh, I now had new hi hats, and made him an aeroplane out of them. And brought it back to him, what was it, about six or seven years later. And uh, he was thrilled. I, I was kind of a little yeah. bit anxious. He, he might go, my hi-hats. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, he didn't. They were, they were obviously no show pony when he gave them to me. Um, yeah. And now he was getting them back in far more, um, far more pleasing form, shall we say. So I think yeah. he still has this. It's a, I made a, a German Focke-Wulf 190 out of it. And... Um, it looked pretty banged up and shot up, but it was pretty cool as well. So, um, yeah. meanwhile, I had said I'd take this guy to work and do something similar, chop it up, melt it down. Except, as happens with a load of stuff that goes into my office, it got lost. And it got lost for a long time. Um, you should see the state of my office. I, I, I tell people who come in and out of it, please don't tell people how I live. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's, it, it's pretty disgusting. And... Um, you know, you'd think a hoarder um, lives in it as well, uh, somewhere under the junk. There's little bits of everything in there. So I would say probably years passed with me wondering whatever became to that, came of that symbol. And I was rooting for something on a high shelf inside in the office and I stepped on some reams of paper that were placed underneath them for some stupid reason. And the symbol made that sound it made there a while ago from under two reams of paper. And I, what the hell was that? And got found a symbol. And I thought, how did it do that through like reams of paper? And I, yeah. I just got, um, I just got a paintbrush actually and just started banging on it. I don't have a paintbrush or anything else there now that I can bang it out across the, the cusp of it there. And I'm yeah. like, that is one nasty sounding piece of metal. <laughs> and uh, I took it home again and set it up with the drum kit. And now, Despite the fact I have two very nice 
peisty 20 inch ride cymbals one's a 2002 series the other one's a signature they'd both be about 300 350 quid each to buy new this baby starts up front for dance gigs instead of either of them because really yeah this thing will cut through anything uh when when you just need a symbol that absolutely punctuates a point this is the one you want it is it's got a little bit of ride symbol, a little bit of china, and a whole lot of cowbell in it as well. It's like, it's brilliant. Yeah. It is absolutely the horse for the course. And uh, I just love the idea that it was several times on the verge of death um, or just being dumped. Um, was a pretty cheap symbol to start with and is uh, now starting up front in the number nine jersey, as it were, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing and you know every day's a school day I mean I never knew that was pronounced Peisty Peisty yeah P- P- it's, uh, for anyone not knowing or anyone listening is going what are you talking about uh, it's a it's a it's a brand There's, of symbol yeah, P-A-I-S-T-E yeah. which I would always have read as kind of the Irish like Pashta yeah which is Pashta 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 there's racism, but it's Pisty, it's pronounced, yeah. It is Pisty. Where, where, where is it from? Um, the, I, it's a weird name. I think the the name actually originates from Estonia, but Pisty are a Swiss and German symbol manufacturer. So, But I, I think it's from Estonia. That it's, a, it's a surname, Pisty. That's where it comes from originally. So Yeah. And I've always it's, used it's Pisty here. Yeah, it's the one, like, I mean, I wouldn't know my... Um, I wouldn't know, I'd know Pearl for drum kits and and Peisty for sale. like if I was yeah, yeah. if you're kind of going for your like pick, pick a brand for a, for a, a drum symbol or a drum kit I'd be like oh Pearl and uh, I don't know Peisty well I'd have said Pasty or something or, yeah, or, yeah. or pa- Paste probably but uh, Peisty okay um, that that's I've never ever known that yeah and obviously been a lot of music and rehearsal spaces but never known mm. So yeah, that's um, that's my little symbol story. Uh, I just like the sort of underdog element of it. And the what was that bit in the Bible about the I'll build my church on the stone rejected by the builder? There's that. There's an element of that to it. That's that's the one. The stone that the builders rejected will become the cornerstone of my church. Yeah. Yes. The stuff. It's like you pressed a button in my head and it just came out. Mm. <laughs> I'll stop playing with it now, though, because I think I'm creating a home in the background. I can hear it in my <laughs> earphones or something. Just put it down again there. I I think it's though it's amazing because I I mean obviously podcasts are an audio medium, but um, visually it it's quite unusual to see a symbol like that that's that small and obviously it's because you cut yeah yeah you cut it I cut it from an 18 to a 13 that's just and and it's not just small if you if you're if your listeners could actually see it it's pretty banged up (laughs) 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 it 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 looks pretty pretty wrecked like you know but there's loads of life left I'll stick a photograph up on the Twitter and the Instagram and and the Facebook and whatever else Um, all the things I'm, I'm sure I actually have a little video of it in action um and oh, it, that'd be great. You know, there's um, uh, if I'm thinking of the right video, the snare drum I'm playing is amplified. It has a mic to it. The kick drum is amplified. That definitely has a mic in it. This yoke has no mic in it, and it it's all you hear. <laughs> it's just like topping out the microphones on everything. <laughs> <laughs> like like a, like a tambourine. Custom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just. Absolutely everything. Mm. It, <laughs> no matter what you do, you'll always hear a tambourine. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not me. I don't mean in a drum kit, like in a cool way. I mean like a random person with a tambourine. Yeah. <laughs> on the street the will Le- be heard the over. Liam Gallagher's of rock and roll. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, that's still way too cool a setting for a tambourine. I mean, you know, I'm. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. I do singing workshops with with people with various groups and. It's just such a lesson learned that sometimes you hand out little percussive instruments for people. Um, some sometimes it's it's younger groups, sometimes it's people with Parkinson's. But it's your own fault if you hand out a tambourine because that is all anyone will hear. Yeah, <laughs> everyone could have a nice little shaker, a little egg, oh, or anything. Lord. But that one tambourine is all anyone's going to mm. hear. <laughs> it's going to be going through everyone's head because it 
like that little similar thing is just cuts through everything. Yeah, yeah. Whatever way they're designed, I fair used, play. I used to do percussion workshops a long, long time ago, community arts thing, and what what I used to get them to do was actually make their own, uh, uh, you know, milk cartons and dried peas and stuff like that. Mm. Are, they're very handy. The, actually, it's a funny thing with my. Uh, I have a group um, that I do singing with. A group with Parkinson's, and when we moved online, uh, obviously suddenly everyone's at home rather than coming to a hall. And uh, if they come to the hall, obviously you can hand them a shaker to, or you can give them stuff. Mm. And so I'd, I'd say to them, because online they'd all have to mute themselves so that they, because obviously everything's out of sync. They can't, we can't sing together. But I'd say to them, grab something to to hit or shake. Hey, if you got if you've got a a little pill, a little pill bottle that'll do just fine. Just give yeah, yeah. that a shake, you know, because <laughs> it, it it tends to be within within reach of someone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Doesn't take too much organising, but um, but yeah, that's um, three very very lovely, three very um tactile things. Because so, sometimes on this uh podcast, um, the things aren't always in the room, so it's lovely to be to be seeing them. Yeah. Uh, I have to go rooting for the cymbal a little bit now because I, I, I don't get out to play drums often enough at all. I'll have to go out and just work up my match fitness because um, hopefully there'll be some hitcher stuff happening and hopefully myself and Eric will be back gigging as well soon. Um, so this was something I was going to ask you about actually because um, as we've gotten through the three things but obviously you have um, you have gigs coming up and you have you have things uh, li- live Hitchers events coming up. We hope. Um, yeah. it, uh, <laughs> is there anything scheduled specifically? There's nothing specifically booked yet. We're like, uh, like we ha- we are talking to people, all right. But it's just a case there's so many so many venues have a, a sort of backlog of gigs now created by the COVID thing and the false mm. start that we got in the autumn and then the cr- cancellations over Christmas. Mm. Like like originally even our own thing, this album was supposed to go to people last week in November so they'd have it for Christmas and we were mm. we were sort of aiming to do a Christmas gig basically sometime between Christmas and New Year and yeah. you can just imagine what a calamity that would have been it would have been just wiped out if, the, if that had been the plan yeah um, so we said we better wait till we had vinyl to arrange everything the vinyl only arrived in the last couple of weeks and mm. um, uh, so we're trying to nail stuff down now but there is this sort of like staggering backlog of gigs that venues are trying to rebook people who have had to postpone and that. So we're basically joining a queue, and um, yes, and of it's a case of trying to to get us in at a date that works for the venues and works for us as well because we're we're four guys but we're spread across uh, three cities and two countries, and yes. there's logistics involved in it. So. Um, hopefully it'll be early summer but um, if it ain't early summer it ain't going to be midsummer. Um, I'm not I'm not cancelling my two weeks in rain sod and Kilkey to come back here doing a gig we'll push it out of Totem <laughs> if we have to you know of course of course and but I mean I suppose even if um, whatever about gigs you do have the the 25th uh, anniversary of of your album yeah that's now out on on vinyl yeah for people um so it's uh wait, what date is it coming out officially um march 20th um yeah if, if you any of the streaming services that you possibly listen to it's up on those already you know um you just just put in fun and games remaster on spotify or whatever it'll come up um, yeah so one of the best names of an album ever it's all fun and games so someone loses an eye which is pretty much what was said to us all yeah, yeah. when we were children <laughs> and still is I'm sure I'm sure everyone's still saying it to their kids yeah. um, but that's out obviously as you said the music is out on streaming but if you do want something quite special uh, you can get the remastered version on vinyl um, out and like, I, oh yeah so where can people where can people find you well, at online the, at the, we have a lovely new website thehitchers.ie um mm-hmm. And if you pop along to that, you can ca- we we have a new video there for you can do, which was uh, it was never actually a single. It was earmarked to be a single at one stage, and for, for some reason it didn't happen. And it's it's always been 
a bit of a climax live people tend to get really into it so we said we should make a video for you can do so that's on the new website and there you can you can uh buy into the pre-order for the the vinyl we don't have a lot of vinyl but um we do have some left over uh so if people want to go for that um it's there on the website and if you leave it till after march 20th at which stage you're risking there will be no vinyl left but we'll hopefully have it in local record shops as well um and and we will have it at gigs i'm sure too it's just we haven't nailed the actual dates for the gigs yet and we've been like, hoping to get back to britain as well we've we've had a couple of people asking us will we come over and play and we've said yeah sure can we sleep on your floor and they don't seem offended by that at all like you know <laughs> so um yeah hopefully that'll happen too lovely so are you, you the hitchers it's you're findable on all the social medias yeah yeah uh, as the hitchers um, yeah, and it's uh, well, not like, TikTok. I, 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 I can't figure out TikTok at all. Actually, I can't figure out Instagram. We are on it, but I just if if we don't we, appear we, particularly active, I just I don't speak Instagram. I really don't. It, it's like it's just having to administrate another magazine in yeah. your life. Like it's it's too much. I I don't know. I I hear you know. I feel sometimes we're expected to administrate too many platforms yeah. so you know if anyone fancies a fight i'm on twitter um you know <laughs> where can you, you be got pretty much anything <laughs> where can you be got on twitter for a fight niall quinn lk73 will usually find me yeah yeah okay brilliant um, well niall thank you so much for sharing your three things they were delightfully entertaining and uh, and also best of luck with the reissuing of the album cheers thank you very much Anne. it's been great fun I really enjoyed this thank you so much you've been listening to Three Things That Matter with me Anne Blake a Limerick Post podcast produced by Eric Fitzgerald theme tune is composed by myself and performed and recorded by my lovely brother David Blake you can follow Limerick Post on Twitter at Limerick Post If you enjoyed the podcast, please let others know and rate it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at AnneBlake78, on Instagram at AnneBlakePlay, and the podcast on the hashtag 3ThingsTM.